Graham? Okay. Folks, today we're dealing with, or we got a friend of mine who is more than deserving of being in the Canadian Boxing Hall of Fame, to say the least. Um, this is one of the only, one of the only, I, I, I can think of like less than five, world champions that came out of Canada on the, pro, on the professional ranks. Not to mention he's, he's a throwback from way back in that he is that, he was on that iconic team that went to the 88 Olympic Games. This is the modern day, as far as I'm concerned, Gabe Cotter from Welcome Back Cotter, the teacher extraordinaire, Mr. Manny Sobral. Thank you, Ray. Well, that's a pretty good introduction, buddy. I mean, uh, you know, like for all intents and purposes, I did win a world title. I'm proud of that. But, you know, like it wasn't like a WBC, but it was an IBO. And IBO is a pretty respected world title. Just Precisely. Precisely. No, man. Like, honestly, you know, like think about it from, from a Canadian standpoint. No, yeah. you, you are yeah. boxing royalty. Um, yeah. To actually bring a, a, a world strap back home. Yeah. You represented as fantastic. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Being Canadian and being like, I mean, I mean, I went through ups and downs in, in boxing. I, I, I super exceeded, I think, any expectation that most people had of me. And uh, I was just a chubby kid that walked into the gym one day when I was 12 years old thinking I was going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger or something and lift some weights. And the guy there, an old an old gentleman by the name of Steve Volanchek, says, no, but no, you're not. You're not going to lift weights. You're going to box. And then he started doing hand pads with me. And wow. it was kind of in the tough part of town, an area called the – it's kind of the skids in Vancouver called the – I don't know what they call it, but it's on Maine and Hastings, and it's one of the worst places you'll ever see people shooting up heroin and uh, hey. crystal meth. Do you, you know that area? Eventually? I've heard of that area. I've never yeah. been there. Thank it's you. like it's like you'd never you'd never believe you're in like a, yeah. a world country because there's people just all over the streets and it's just nuts and it's like a six block radius six blocks by six blocks and it's just it's a different it's a different world and what's happened is in vancouver is they had a, a mental institute called essendale in riverview yep. and they basically slowly have started shutting it down but the problem is the people that were living in these institutions the government's not giving them enough money to go get themselves like a more an affluent sort of place to stay they're giving them I don't know what they're getting. I think it's like 1500 bucks. And what can you afford to pay rent and to pay food and to pay everything else? So they end up in the skids. Yeah. So all this mental illness brings the drug dealers. So the drug dealers got a, a clientele that's never going to go away because there's more and more coming. Sweet. So it's almost like the, you know, the government's almost set it up. Like yeah. that. And that's Vancouver. Uh, that's the only part of Vancouver. The rest of Vancouver is beautiful. Like Vancouver is a beautiful place to live. Don't get me wrong, but I think um, there's got to be changes made to the downtown east side. That six block six. radius. Wow. That's that happened to be where I started boxing. It's called the inner city gym. The inner city gym was at 
Maine and Hastings. It was called the Inner City Gym, the Western Sports Center. And back in the 80s, when I started in 1982, that area was, was not nearly what it is today because there wasn't the mental illness stuff. It was more people that loggers and things that worked from out of town. They would stay in hotels around that area. Okay. And there's this gym that had like a 20 foot ceiling and it had this big mural of Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier and had a big mural of uh, uh, Rocky Marciano and that another mural of Joe Walcott. And it was just iconic. It was just amazing. It was one of the best places. Like I'd love to see a gym like that around now and i never have since that time and it was like i said it was called the inner city gym and there was a heavyweight out of there at that time out of vancouver by the name of gordy reset gordy reset was uh managed by sylvester stallone and he wow. he became one of the like a fringe top 10 contender he didn't have the training ethic to get him anywhere he was uh he was kind of like the ne next great white hope that's what stallone was trying to build back in the 80s was like a real Rocky rather than okay. a Rocky movie, you know? And okay, okay. This Gordy Reset was part of it. You should, you should Google him up. Gordy Reset, he had probably 30 or 40 professional boxing matches. Um, I think he got it thrown in with Tony Tubbs or one of the sort of top heavyweights, and he didn't do so well. He fought Trevor Burbick, went 10 or 11 rounds with Trevor Burbick. Really? Canadian heavyweight title. He lost, unfortunately, but he – you know, he, he stood up to Burbick, so he was a, he was a, he was a fighter. And um, I was lucky to have a guy like that to look up to. And and there was also another fighter by the name of Jamie Olenberger, who was a top welter. He fought in the – back then, the ESPN had a, had these tournaments back in yeah. the 80s where you could be the ESPN champion. And I think there was restrictions. You couldn't have more than 20 fights type thing. And – and Jamie made it to the finals and fought a guy named Santana and unfortunately lost the decision. But uh, he was another guy I looked up to. And because he was close to my weight, Jamie and I sparred hundreds of rounds. And I was really fortunate to get that work. Because as you know, Ray, if you spar with someone that's better than you, yep. it can only make you better. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, no, no. You're right. Those scenarios, those, those uh, what you call it? Yeah, those scenarios where you have – down and out, yeah. Town, yeah, yeah. For whatever reason, breeds some hungry fighters. <laughs> I agree. Like in a lot of the movies, like Jake Lamada, you look at Jake Lamada, you look at you know a lot of tough, tough guys that come out of the hood, right? And, Literally, it's, it's you know, like I mean, I was, I consider myself being brought up in a middle class family with a mother and a father, and, a, and I had a sister. And uh, we lived in uh, just a regular Vancouver. It's called the Vancouver Special. It's a house that's like two levels. And it's got like two two bedrooms downstairs, three bedrooms upstairs, and a kitchen downstairs, and a kitchen upstairs. And they started building these things in the 70s. And that's what we lived in, in just a Vancouver Special, just a regular home. And in a 33-foot by 122-foot lot, that's the regular lot in Vancouver. So yeah. nothing special, just a run-of-the-mill. And back then... This is what's crazy about Vancouver because in the 80s, my parents bought that house for like, I think, $80,000 in 1981 or something. Well, now that home is worth one point, probably 1.7, 1.8 million. It's crazy. Real estate is just nuts. I mean, I, I agree. 80 grand was probably a lot of money back in 1980, but uh, yeah, yeah, it, but it wasn't 1.7 million. No, it's nothing like today. Yeah. Oh, dear God. Yeah. No, you I hear Toronto, Toronto real estate's pretty high too, right? It's ridiculous. 
Um, there's teardowns for a million dollars. I know it's nuts. It's absolutely I don't absurd. know who can afford it. Got to got to move the Regina or somewhere like Halifax or something. By Halifax. Yeah. Yeah. East Coast. No, uh, the pricing, the housing pricing is is gone. It's it looks like it. The objective is to get on par with New York, which wow. is just an absurdity. I know it's absurd, but I heard Halifax still got good house prices. Actually, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Montreal's getting up there too. I heard, but it's still not as much as Toronto or Vancouver. Like Toronto. Well, Vancouver is, I think, surpassed Toronto. It's about the same. It goes back and forth every year, but I think it's around the same. Yeah. 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 Tell me, you went, to, you you went to that iconic uh, Olympic <laughs> Games. As far as I'm concerned, it's like the games, um, mm -hmm. simply because of all the controversy. Mm -hmm. um, a certain part of me is happy that Aiba is out, mm -hmm. um, simply because of what happened to me. The one time I was supposed to go, I, like I had the opportunity to go to the Olympic trials, and they said that I was too old. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. They've always had a bad. I have had a bad taste in my mouth when it comes to Aiba. Yeah. But now, like, they've been exposed for the, the corruption yeah. and whatnot. Nothing nothing will surpass that of 2016, hence why they're gone. But yeah. 2008 or 1988? Yeah. That's a long time wow. ago, man. 32 years, 33 years. Yeah, yeah. But wow. What a mess. Yeah, that was a mess. And that changed boxing because it was that was well, now they're back to the regular scoring 20 point system. But yeah, that year, 1988, was the last year that they had judges scoring the bouts. Then they came to this uh, computer scoring, which of yeah. course didn't work. And they figured that out for a while. They also changed boxing because it was three three minute rounds in the 1988 Olympics. The yeah. 1992 Olympics, they went to five two minute rounds. Was but it? Then they, did you ever box those two minute rounds? I I did. Okay, I started my boxing in '95. Um, we were fighting three three minutes and night. Yeah. Like I, I, incredibly ambitious. I, I attempted to qualify for the '96 Olympic Games. Yeah, nowhere with that. But um, two, by the 2000 games, so '98 it was five two minute rounds. No. It no, and no. Ninety-eight, it was. I think I thought it was ninety-two. They changed it to five two-minute rounds. That Olympics. I I'd have to check. I I yeah. either five two-minute rounds or four oh, two-minute rounds. No, it wasn't. It wasn't those. It wasn't uh, ninety-two Olympics because I remember Chris Johnson's fight with uh, Chris, oh. and he lost uh, three. It was three threes. Okay. Yeah. So it maybe was, it was the ninety. It was probably the ninety-six Olympics. I did. They did two-minute rounds. It may have been then. It may have been then, and then two thousand by two thousand and or by two thousand, it was four two minute rounds. Yeah, four. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they yeah. kept changing it around, but then see the problem that they didn't figure out is the like the ABC that that was filming it, they couldn't cut in like their timing was wrong, right? So then yeah. they reverted back to the three minute rounds, <laughs> and I mean they just overlooked a lot of things. Aiba. I mean, yeah, like you said, it was very corrupt. There was envelopes changing hands in Seoul, Korea, apparently. There was envelopes oh, changing yeah. hands. And then, you know, there was a Korean that lost to a Bulgarian. I, I think there were featherweights. And then all of a sudden, the lights of the whole arena go out. <laughs> and 
Security guards are taking their jackets off, jumping in the ring to beat up the referee that was from New Zealand. And then they had to fly that guy out the next day. Oh, wow. It crazy. It was crazy. And then Roy Jones gets ripped off in the finals against a, a South Korean yeah. who didn't touch Roy. Didn't touch and him. Roy loses a 3-2 split decision. Yet after that, they vote him the best boxer of the tournament. So how does that work? <laughs> I didn't, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. He was voted the boxer of the tournament, yet that he, he, he took a silver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was, there was a lot of interesting things uh, during Olympics, and, I mean, it was, it was an amazing thing. Like, I mean, I was 19 years old. I was on top of the world, I felt. I mean, walking into the stadium, there's, like, 90,000 people. You see, like Ali explains one day when he's fighting uh, Henry Cooper, you see one row, and you see the next row, and you think that people are following. Like, it was crazy. Like, yeah. it was just nuts. Grant, that, you know, like, not, not everyone's eyes on you, but you but feel still, so part of it. You know what I'm saying? Very much so. Very much so. And watching, like, uh, we were on the track watching Ben Johnson uh, race. Mother. I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a crazy Olympics. I mean, that was one of the, you know, no one – well, okay, the young people of today, you ask them who Ben Johnson is, they don't know. But if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, you know who Ben Johnson is. You know who Ben, of course. And more more importantly, if you're in your 40s and 50s and up, you yeah. remember where you were. Yeah, that's right. When, when it happened. But yeah. and a lot of people remember the great Lennox Lewis, the lion, uh, taking the gold medal, knocking out Reddick Bow. Yeah. But, you know, you look at those Olympics. I mean, look at the heavyweight Lennox Lewis, the – the super heavyweight. The heavyweight was Reddick, or Ray Mercer. Ray Mercer became a hell of a great pro fighter. And he was a vicious man. And then the guy that beat Egerton Marcus for the gold, Henry Maske, became one of the best middleweights in the game. And um, there was uh, there was Roy Jones Jr. who won the – well, he didn't win. He got the silver at the in the yeah. super welter. And then uh, the welter was kind of the guy that won my division was weird. His name was Robert Wangila. He was from Kenya. He was knocking guys out. He had a real powerful punch. But uh, what they did is they ripped off a guy from Germany, a guy named Sengfried Menhart. Menhart, his name was. And that guy was pretty amazing. But he got ripped off, I think, like Roy Jones. I forget who he lost to. I think it might have been a South Korean that he lost to, but he shouldn't have lost. I mean, he would have won that division, I think. But uh, this way, uh, what's that? You would have beaten the Kenyan? The men hurt? I think he would have. But, I mean, it's all depending, right, because you, you got that punch. And the gloves were so fucking – excuse the language. The gloves were so small. And they were, I don't know what kind of make they were, but they were just like a leather piece of – they are small, man. <laughs> There's a lot of knockouts at that Olympics. But, um, yeah, I think men hurt would have been able to get by him. In my opinion, I don't know. Okay. I mean, uh, that's boxing for you, though, because, I mean, you know, there's <laughs> – I don't know if you remember Big John Tate. Yeah. Um, was winning the – who's he fighting? In the 15th and final round, Mike Weaver. He was beating Mike Weaver, and Mike Weaver oh, lands a right hand or a left hook in the last, like, minute of the 15th round. Yeah. yeah. And, hey, there's a new heavyweight champion. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, uh, racer. Yeah, like so many heavyweights do. Yeah, and um, but uh, it was uh, yeah, it's memories. And then I didn't box for a while after that. I decided to go to school instead and took a little bit of time off in boxing. And then 
1991, like three years later, I still kind of went to the gym and messed around and stuff. And But in 91, there was this thing called the BC Tough Man Competition. And I went and watched it in Vancouver. It was at this place called the Agrodome. And then uh, I was watching these guys. And I said, man, I can beat these guys. Because it was it was kind of, it was modified boxing rules that you weren't able to kick or nothing like that. You just punch and, you know, BC right. a competition. I'm sure they had them around there as well. Yeah. And um, like what the butter bean sort of did. Right. Yeah. So watch these guys. So then there's a two more cities that you, cause there was eight cities in BC that qualified and then they were going to have those eight people back for the finals. Right. So they did the Vancouver one. I watched, I said, oh, I can beat these guys. So I went to Nanaimo and I qualified for the finals and then I won the finals. And um, that was in 91. And then I tried qualifying for the 92 Olympics. But uh, because of uh, they said, well, you made money and you're a professional. I said, yeah, but it wasn't in boxing. Oh, wow. Tough man. Really? So they wouldn't let me box amateur. So I may have, may have been able to make the 92 games. I don't know because it was Greg Johnson that went for Canada that year. And um, Did you go? No. Greg Johnson? I don't think Greg was on my team. 92 games? Yeah, Chris Johnson was on that Chris team. Chris was, okay. Yeah. I don't remember who was uh well, you know what happened? Maybe Greg didn't qualify to make it, but I think he was Canadian champion that year. Maybe. But I, I mean he was a guy that was one of the guys that had to be in 88. I had to beat Greg too. Like I boxed Greg at the 88 game or the 88 trials and stuff. Yeah. And I beat him. That guy could punch, man. <laughs> okay. See, Chris. Chris doesn't stop talking about how if I was around back in those days, Greg would have knocked me out even at welterweight. So I'm like, why would that Greg? like you wouldn't believe, man. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 the problem with Greg is that you knew if you got past the second round, you'd had nothing left. So you just made him work for a couple rounds, and then the third round was always the – Is always you know, yours. If you're still around, yeah. If you're still around. But he knocked a lot of guys out, man. Wow. And he, yeah, Greg was good, man. Uh, I mean, and Chris was good. They're a good family. I mean, Kitchener, Ontario, they they had a lot of great fighters because Arnie yeah. Bohm coached all those guys, right? And he's a great coach. And, of course, he's he started Lennox Lewis, too. That's actually where I started. In, in, with Arnie? No. Um, there was another gym called uh, oh. Grand River Boxing Club uh, with uh, Bill Longmire. So I started with Bill. And yeah. the, the Vanderpools? Yeah, the Vanderpools. Sid and Fitz. Fitz was training out of Grand River when I was when uh, I started. So I started with Fitz. Yeah, but didn't they go to the end? Didn't they end up going to Arnie as well? No, they were started with Arnie. Oh, they started, they started with, with their dad, and then they went to Arnie. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because Arnie had a lot of Canadian champions, man. That guy. Arnie was a great, a great coach. Yeah. yeah it must have been, been, and you know, like I mean, in boxing, as you know, it, it takes coaching, but it takes so much. You got to have the athlete. You got to have a guy that, or a woman nowadays. Back in the eighties, yeah. there weren't women, but you got to have a, a an athlete that can withstand a lot and can stay calm, cool, collected when everything's going awry. Sometimes, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's so there's so many variables in boxing. By all means, at the end of the day, we we're t I was just talking with uh, Mark Ramsey yesterday, and yeah. in, in, we we're talking about the. The uh, attributes that a coach brings to the equation, and the ability to excite the the fighter, yeah, if needed, or yeah. calm them down and just say pace yourself, yeah, 
you know, these it's the game of boxing is incredibly cerebral. It's a chess game. It's a chess game, right? Um, it's a chess game first. Yeah. Physical second. So yeah. it's a question of how you have a you have a, an angry beast coming at you. What are you gonna do? Are you you wanna turn into a slug fest against the flipping nut? Depends. Depends. Yeah, exactly. It's a chess game. Yeah, it's a chess match, yeah. Right? So no, I'm mean, um it's uh it's a crapshoot as to what you get, but yeah. I think that Arnie was just absolutely legendary. Um and what he did for not just for Kitchener Waterloo, but like for boxing as a whole in Canada is is yeah. astronomical. Like look at the champions that he that came out of that gym. Like yeah, I know two families full of champions. You guys have um like hold on a sec, there's something beeping here. I'm sorry. Okay. MJ! <laughs> I don't know how to use I don't even know how to use this uh I don't even know how to use the the stove, right? But she you got a beeping girl. <laughs> What's that? Oh yeah, you gotta turn it off. Yeah, good thing I get dinner made. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we were talking about, yeah. And then, you know, what's weird about coaching too. Like, you know, like when you hear about great coaches and stuff, you know, to my mind, people like um, Ray Arcel, who coached nope. the Rams, yeah. stuff. Maybe Angelo Dundee, who had Sugar Ray and uh, Muhammad Ali and 20 other world champions. But, you know, a lot of the great people that go down as being the great trainers, they didn't ever started the actual fighter. You know what I'm saying? From day one. Can, can you true. think of someone like that, right? Like, I mean, there isn't too many. That's the thing. And Arnie was one of them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Arnie no. started them all and got them – you know, I know, I know. Lennox went with um, Adrian to the rescue there, and there's a long, there's a long story with, with that. Arnie um, lost his gym, so he started. Mm -hmm. like, and you have to, I, I still can't wrap my head around this. Yeah, his gym. He lives in Kitchener. The gym was in Kitchener, and he throw all the guys into a van and drive them down to Adrian's gym to train out of Adrian's gym. Wow. Adrian's gym was over an hour away in Toronto. Yeah. And he did this every day. Wow. He, he was, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, and that's how Adrian, uh, well, also Adrian was, I think, the national team coach and whatnot. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if he was. Like, I mean, he's from Romania, so he, I mean, he had a lot of experience, I think, but I don't think he was a national coach at the time. He might have, like, I mean, there was a lot of controversy in the 88 games, too, because uh, – Taylor Gordon and a guy from on Napper, Napper, Ray yeah. Napper. Ray Napper. I think they were coaches. They're, they were supposed to be our two coaches, right? So there was a lot of infighting because they said, no, Adrian, you can't go in the corner. Only the head coaches can go, right? So then <laughs> Lennox and Egerton says, oh, I guess we're going home then. <laughs> exactly. So exactly. It changed, it changed who went in the corner, right? Adrian told me about some of the, the wars that he had. And the politics. Oh, too much. At the end of the day, um, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that the athletes did as well as he did. Even Lennox. Lennox was on the national team for, what, five years? 
And Adrian told me a story about when uh, once they tried to screw over Lennox. The Nationals was that in Ottawa, and they're yeah. trying to say, oh, yeah, 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 Lennox doesn't have to be here. He's, he's, he's good because he's already on the national team. Next oh, yeah. thing you know, Adrian gets there, and uh, yeah, well, if Lennox is, fight, is scheduled to fight tomorrow. Um, they screwed him. Really? So Adrian calls Lennox, says, get your ass down here. Yeah. Lennox sleeps in his bed, um, in his room. Yeah. Morning, he just sort of shows up. Wait, yeah. no nine yards. Okay. And you thought everyone just slack job. I'm just like, this yeah. infighting, this yeah. nonsense. Yeah. I like, and you guys were, like, we haven't won a medal in the Olympics since 96. Yeah. So in the 80s was the glory years. You guys, yeah. were, I don't know how many medals you guys got in the, in, uh, in yeah. right? We, there's still infighting going on, but like nothing like how yeah. can we succeed when yeah. we can't succeed? Like what's, what's, what's missing in the equation today? Yeah, it must've been like, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's all the same infighting is today that there was back then, if not worse, because of all this, uh, these chat rooms, everyone's on and all this, uh, social media, like you can't get away from it. It's around you 24 seven, man. Like, like I work with kids at-risk youth in Vancouver. I'm a high school teacher in Vancouver, and uh, I work That's with a you, Gabe Carter. What's up? That's why I call you Gabe Carter. You're Gabe Carter. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's Carter, yeah. Welcome so, Carter. Uh, there you go. Now I hear it. Now I got it. Uh, it went over my head a little bit, but uh, anyway, yeah, like they, there's no there's no end to it because they can get bullied 24-7, man, and then a lot of these kids, like – Unfortunately, they don't have you know some of the boxing skills that you should have and be able to ignore it, right? And yeah. react to everything, right? And uh, it's a tough, tough, tough go when you don't have the the skills to be able to deal with it, right? By all means, by all means, it's uh, it's a tough go to say the least. Yeah. How did you get into your pro career? Pro well after that ninety one, couldn't do box amateur boxing anymore. So then I. You know, I was pretty much done my university by that time. And uh, I uh, started just doing local cards in Vancouver here. And then um, eventually, well, I got lucky because there was in, in Washington State, they, they started doing these uh, um, Aboriginal casinos or native casinos. Oh, yeah. yeah. So there was one called the Lucky Eagle Casino, and it was remote. It was like, in a place called Rochester, Washington, out of nowhere, but they started doing these fight cards. And the guy that was doing the fight cards that they hired to do them was a guy by the name of Benny Giorgino. Okay. And Benny Giorgino was a real good boxing person. He was from um, California. And uh, he managed a guy named Little Red Lopez, uh, Danny Little Red Lopez. And he managed a bunch of other guys. And I mean <laughs> – Benny's so well-known in boxing, and a lot of people know you can Google him after. He's unfortunately passed away. He was already old at that time. He was probably in his 70s or 80s. So he died in his early 90s, I think. But uh, so, I mean, when I was down in Vegas training and stuff, like I was with Benny, and then I remember being, I'll never forget this. We were at Caesars Palace, and then you hear, Benny, and who is it? The guy with the big hair. Walking oh. up there, Tom King. Hey, Benny, and they're hugging, and and everything and so we had lunch with the don king man and benny knew everybody in boxing and um so benny got me the right people put the right guys in front of me he got me some you know some guys that were pretty 
you know, high rank guys at one time, but Benny knew that um, there was flaws that could be infiltrated. Lots of guys that were, yeah, some pretty good high names. And Benny got me those fights, got me ranked in the WBC. And then this IBO world title shot came up. So it all went by so fast, man. Like, it's like a blur. Everything goes. But uh, that's how pro boxing started. And uh, I moved to Las Vegas. I, I, I boxed in sort of out of Vancouver until 1990, until the – about the end of 1996 and I think it was January or December 19 either December 96 or January 97 I moved to Las Vegas so then I because that by that time I had a manager by the name of Jerry Gilroy from Edmonton and he was paying all the expenses so I said okay I'll take school because I had a job and I took a leave went down to Vegas got some matches down there and stuff and um I was training at the top-ranked gym. I was training at this place called the Nevada Partners where Floyd Mayweather started training in 97 because he just got out of the 96 Olympics. And okay. That was the gym he was training at with his father and his uncle, Roger. Sparred lots with Roger, quite a few rounds with Roger. Sparred a number of rounds with Floyd himself, too, at this Nevada Partners. And uh, I don't know. It was It was – living sort of the dream but in, in retrospect it was the wrong way to do it because i was sparring a lot with a lot of world title contenders and everything so when the time came to make matches things just didn't sort of work out because they said well no you don't want to fight that guy because that guy's ready to go because we just saw him in the gym last week wow that's right so, yeah so it would have been better for me i believe to just go for two or three weeks periods maybe nope. if I were to do it again to, to Vegas or to LA or to because I went to LA for a while as well actually I, I worked out at a place called the LA boxing which was owned uh part owned by by Ken Norton believe it or not and oh. uh, and um yeah so I was I was trained with a guy by the name of Bill Slayton, who Bill Slayton was one of Ken Norton's trainers actually as well. And he, I trained with him, I think for two matches. And then I went over to Vegas and I was training with a guy named Jerome Coffey, who also trained Scotty Olson. Uh, I know Jerome well. Yeah. Jerome, he was a good fighter back in the day, but no. it wasn't really a fit for me to tell you the truth. Though, no, not really. Like, I mean, you know, you got a mesh as a, with um, I didn't, I didn't totally mesh with Jerome, you know, and it just is what it is, man. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, I went on and, uh, did what I could. And when, when did you, what was a, what was your signal that, you know what, I've had enough? Well, it was really, see, I boxed a guy named Tony Badia. Twice. In, yeah, twice. In 96, and then I think I boxed him again in 98, maybe. And or 98 or 99. It was probably 99, actually, because that's when I moved out of Vegas. Okay. 99. So after I – the set, the first fight with the uh, – I I beat him. I, like, I mean, he was, he was quitting, and then he found a way to get out with a head like he said it was I head butted him but he was cut before I was cut as well and whatever by the 11th round I was coming on he just quit and uh so I won but they went to a decision because he cried and said that he got hit. Oh. 
blah, blah, blah. So they went through the scorecards and, and I won a decision. And then I had a couple more fights. He had a couple more fights and he actually beat Greg Johnson too, I think. Really? One of his fights, yeah. I'm pretty sure he did, yeah. And as a pro. As a pro. Yeah. Um see that's what's weird about Greg. He didn't have a great record, but that guy could buy he was so fast and hit so hard, you know what I'm saying? Like it's kind yeah. of it's kind of a it's, a it's a matrix in a way, right? But um yeah, I'm pretty sure he beat Greg. And uh, then yeah, Badia and I rematched, and what happened in that match was, you know, I just wasn't sharp. I wasn't I wasn't, it wasn't my day. I wasn't, it, was, it wasn't my day that day. And it was kind of a weird thing too, that like in the second or third round, I went down on my ankle kind of weird. And then I had a compound fracture. My tibia popped out of my leg basically. But wow. the thing is the boxing boot kept it all together. Right. And I think I went to the sixth round, if I'm not mistaken, you'd know in the record, whatever the record's there, like sixth yeah. round or something. So I kept fighting on. I did what I could, and but this wasn't my day. And uh, so I took my boot off, and it was soaking in blood. And uh, a compound fracture. And you can I I broke my hand in a fight. My yeah. right hand, actually, the first. Uh, it was my first six rounder against Paul Mabongo. Yeah. Cracked him with the a right hand. Yeah. And then felt sort of funny. Cracked him again. Yeah. And, yeah, it's broken. I yeah. finished the fight with the left hand. Yeah. But. My hand is different than my feet. Yeah, I know. I mean, I mean, if you watch the video too, like you'll see that I'm kind of limping around, and most of my weight because it was my right, uh, my right ankle. Yeah. So most of my weight's on my front foot. So I'm leaning forward, and you know we've banged heads so many times. I mean, again, not to take anything away from Jerome because this happened in the second round, right when I broke my ankle. And I went back and said, fuck, my ankle's killing me. He goes, fuck your leg. You got to get out there and fight. That's what I can vaguely remember. And then we were banging heads so much. Like I was cut. I was cut for over, I think, 60 stitches by the end of that fight. And wow. if it was before the fourth round, it would have just been a no contest. Yeah. So someone like yeah. Angelo Dundee would have oh. called the friggin' the referee over. Cause he knows my ankle's done. Yeah. Hey, I don't know if he can continue. Look how big that cut is. Open it up some more. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, yeah. And that was your first loss. That was my first loss, and uh, yeah, and I I sort of knew it was over then, <laughs> because yeah, I moved back to Vancouver, and then I did have one more. I had because I wanted to go out with a win, right? So I fought the guy by the name of Eric Holland. And Eric Collin, even though he didn't have a great record, he was a pretty good fighter because he beat some good fighters. And he was you know, a good journeyman, you know. And I and I beat him, I think, in an eight or a ten-round decision. So then I called it quits. That was it. I'm done. But what was crazy about it, then I, I couldn't believe how many calls I was getting and, and some big money fight calls, like, you know, you know, six-figure fights. That's exactly Because um, I was formerly world-ranked and uh, – and I had the IBO title at one time, so they could say yep. that and stuff. And but you know, people would know that you're damaged goods. And uh, one of the big calls I got was from HBO. They wanted me to fight Jermaine Taylor, and uh, they offered oh, wow. me 
your money. And uh, I turned that one down because I says to myself, well, Jermaine Taylor is a vicious puncher and I don't want to have, a, I want to be able to be able to speak after I'm done. <laughs> so, um, you know, I wasn't training either. And it was, it was not that short of, like, I think they, they're going to give me five weeks or something to train for. So I, I contemplated a bit, but I said, I turned it down. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe six months after that or four months after that, I got a call from Denmark for seven. They needed a replacement in seven days to fight a guy named Metcal Kessler. And I Googled him, and I didn't Google him at that time. Or I might have because I was like 2001. I might have. I don't know if Google was around, but I looked him up on the Internet somehow. And um, he didn't look that vicious or that bad and I said ah Kessler wasn't vicious well I didn't think so from what I Googled him and stuff like that but and uh but he turned out to be like once I got in the ring with him because it was two way class of fire too right because I was a junior middle or I was a junior middleweight he's a super middleweight but yeah whatever. so I gave Russ my buddy Russ Amber a call and said hey Russ you want to go back to Denmark because I'd fought I fought at a play at a tournament there in Copenhagen, the Copenhagen cup in 1986 or 87 with Russ and Russ was the head coach. Right. So that's when Russ and I first met and Russ realized that I was fluent in Spanish and he wanted to learn Spanish. So I was kind of a Spanish instructor and we became really good friends, Russ, and we're great friends to this day. And, uh, so I said, Hey Russ, you remember going to Tivoli gardens and you remember the, going over like doing going to Denmark when we were in Denmark there and you, cause I got cut under the eyes. So he went to the hospital with me. You remember going to the hospital? Yeah. Yeah. Those are great days. And you know, so whatever, 10, not 10, like 15 years later, we're back in Denmark fighting wow. Kessler. Kessler. So anyway, Russ, Russ, uh, Russ is a good man. And um, it was, it was good. It was, you know, I mean, i I tried what I could do, but I couldn't hurt the guy. He was had some shots, so Kessler was a bad man. Yeah, he was. He's a bad man. Yeah, he was. He was one of the better uh, super middleweights. I mean, he was. I mean, he wasn't too far off from Andre Ward, really. I mean, no, no, he, he wasn't. Was very close. Yeah. No, no, he wasn't. Yeah. But. So I couldn't complain, and I knew after that it was done. And I mean, what? Uh, I don't want to get punched out. And I don't want to. I don't need it. And uh, went back to work teaching, and that's something I love as well. And I think that's one of the big things with a lot of boxers that keep coming back. It's they got to find something, something else they love, something else they can do to to stimulate the brain, right? And, yeah. And. Um, you know, teaching did that for me and still does it for me. And I love going to work in the morning and, and uh, you know, having different things to do and people to see and probation officers to talk to, social workers to work with. And yeah. it becomes interesting, right? It's an interesting thing for me. And uh, rewarding is what it is. Yeah, I think that's the bottom line at the end of the day. We're, you know, got a lot of kids that we're trying to help out and the supports weren't there. And um, who knows, right? I mean, I don't know how many kids I've given grades to that uh, kind of, you know, hey, let's figure it out together, you know. And who's doing most of the work? Manny's doing most of the work, but whatever. He shows up or she shows up and they get through, right? Because yeah. 
you know, at the end of the day, it's not just your marks that are going to get you through in life. It's it's a lot coming from the heart and being able to have a work ethic and, and so many other things other than just doing uh, arithmetic or oh, calculus or whatever, right? There's a, lot, there's a lot of variables to that equation. Many, multiple, multiple. Right. And you're not going to hold a kid back by not giving them their grade 11 math so they can't graduate and move on to doing something else that they might do well at, right? Why stumble them there and, and keep them at that impasse? Good for you. That's like that's that's a noble gesture. That's a noble profession. Yeah, I'm happy. I mean, I like I said, I don't have to like. Yeah, I'm glad I I chose the profession I chose. I was going to go into policing, and policing is not too bad. But this is the better end of it because I'm not dealing with the scum all the time. I'm dealing with young kids that just had a hard done by or. Okay. Not here, like most of these kids I'm working with, they're in, they're in, they're in youth, uh, they're in foster care, they're they're wards of the ministry because they unfortunately were not born with a mother and a father like I was that, you know, cared and loved me. You know what I'm saying? If you have that one person in your life that unconditionally loves you, yeah, it's amazing, and you can get by so many things. If you don't have that, imagine that. Imagine not having knowing deep down you don't have because foster care, sure. These people are taking care of the kids, but they're getting paid to do it, man. Yep, when the going gets tough, you know, like, I don't know, I've screwed up a lot when I was growing up, but my mom, okay, I got disciplined, but I still knew she loved me. Yeah. And if you don't have that, fuck, it's hard to get by life, man. You compared, you compared, uh, Police, uh, police work to yeah. be a teacher. I, I see them as two opposite ends of the spectrum. They because sort of are. They they go off and they punish. Yeah. They rest. Yeah. You actually try to mend. Yeah. And build. I, I don't it's see them. Changing, it's changing though. The policing is changing in a way because like. You know, I work very closely with the police liaison officers in Vancouver, which most high schools have one, a police liaison officer. And realistically, they're trying to do more prevention than anything and try to, instead of, you know, just locking them up, like very, they're going away from just putting youth in custody. They'd rather have alternative measures out in the community, which works for some, but doesn't work for others. Sometimes you have, but very few, very few youth are being incarcerated nowadays. And I think that's a good thing because what, what good does that do? It just makes you a better criminal because you're there with everybody else. It's, <laughs> it's called the school hard knocks for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Manny. I gotta let you go. This was a great interview. Yeah. Most importantly, I want to thank you. For yeah, well, on. thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Nice meeting you, Graham. We I really wanted to uh, showcase you and let mankind remember what Manny Soberall did for Canada. So well, I appreciate it. Thanks, my man. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. You do this every day. We do this five days a week. Wow. Yeah. At 8.30. At 8.30. And where do you see it? Live somewhere? It's, yeah, you can you can uh, stream this live. We'll stream live. 
So I can just go Google your name and it will come up. The show is um, the show is the scoop on the channel is uh, talking fights. The scoop. So the it's scoop. online though. It's, it's streaming online. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna Google it. Sure. Thanks, buddy. All right. Check, buddy. check out uh, two world champs as well. Like uh, I got you. Tell you about it. Yeah. I got you. I'm I'm watching you tomorrow. Awesome. You got uh you got my friend uh, Howard on. Uh, we had Howard on last week, but then it didn't work out so well. So we're gonna have Howard on on uh, next Thursday. But then we splice it up and then boot out. It's not live, right? Yeah, we had we had Howard on two days ago. Yeah, he was saying that. He was telling us. Yeah. yeah, he's a good man, Howard. He's a great man. Yes, 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 he is. That was a but then see Howard should have got a medal too because he beat that guy from Sweden, a guy named Lars Menberg. He beat him. But they just didn't give him the decision. He lost the four one, eh? But then look, uh, I wanted to talk more about Jimmy Pegadam. Yeah, Jimmy Pegadam really got ripped off, man, because he knocked that guy down three times. But the referee—that's the only time in, in uh, Olympic history that has ever happened. Exactly. No, that that was an iconic year. But so many things happening, eh? Maybe I want to bring you back sometime. Thanks, Ray. It's always good talking to you. It's always great talking boxing with boxing people, my friend. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Good night, everyone. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Have a good one. Bye. Bye now. Yeah, I don't know what's up my mic. I don't think my mic's working. It's working now. Oh, great. Yeah. Right great. on. That was, that was an awesome interview. Yeah, that was that was great. He is he's a special guy. Like he, he's so easy to talk to. And there's no machismo and there's no ego. Like you see what he's that's just the way he's like. He's just he's achieved so much. Like almost to celebrity status. And yet look how down to earth he is. Yeah, very humble man and giving back to the community. Exceptional. Uh, help helping out all those kids out there. And I want I I was going to ask him, uh, but I was having trouble with my uh, mic. I was going to ask him whether the kids he teaches knows about his history. You heard me ask him. He said yes. I'm bringing him back. Yeah, it's cool. And we'll ask him. We'll ask him. That's awesome. No, he's he's uh, he's doing well for the community, and I really appreciated hearing about his history and where he's coming from. And yeah. Just what he's giving back for, uh, why he's giving that back. It's uh, no. he's learned so much. He's giving that knowledge back. Precisely. I didn't, we didn't even touch on the fact that he's actually still coaching. So. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he's still coaching. So. I got I got the impression he was out out of the ring and uh, focused on teaching, like classroom teaching. No, uh, I didn't realize no, he was. No, he's still. That's coaching. cool. Yeah. Well, then. It, Gives him a, gives him reason to come back on the show and bring us up to date as to uh, his coaching and what he's doing in the ring. There you go. There you go. So, with that, if you like this episode, please smash that like button and subscribe. It's your boy Bala, and that's the scoop. <laughs>